art, comedy, pop culture, and much more. You're listening to ACPN. Emerald City Video, this is Russ. Do you have that one with that guy who was in that movie that was out last year? <sighs> Welcome to the Emerald City Video Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Burlingame, and with me today is, uh, this is, this is not our normal name, but uh, Make Mine Amalgam. And uh, it, it's kind of cool. I, I, I've always done comic books. I mean, people who listen to the show know that I, I, I write for comicbook.com. For, as a comic book person growing up, because they're hard to keep alive, every 25 issues is special, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially for the first 100. But even after that, like to me, because Superman 75 happened and it was just like that to me was like one of my big entry points. So then for a long time, it's like every every 25 issues is something interesting. Uh, this, by coincidence, is our 125th episode. Uh, and uh, and now we're, we're speaking with the, the man behind Josie Quest. Uh, which, uh, for, for anybody who's listened to the show since the beginning, will know that that, uh, that calls us all the way back to episode one when we talked about Josie the Pussycast. So uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and about Josie Quest and how, uh, how it was that you came to be um, doing, doing what you've done. Well... It all started, actually, I, I kind of grew up on Archie Comics. Mm-hmm. It started when I got a digest in one of my Christmas stockings. And that's when I was introduced to Archie Comics. And throughout, like, uh, maybe fourth and fifth grade, I was exclusively reading that. Then I went back to just superhero stuff. And it wasn't until maybe I discovered... Archie meets the Punisher, and then Archie and Predator, and I was like, oh, they have really weird crossovers. we got to read that. And then Riverdale happened, and I thought, wow, I love this. I need to go back to Archie. What am I going to do to get this Archie 6 during the hiatus? Mm-hmm. And so I looked back at the Hanna-Barbera cartoon of Josie and the Pussycats, realized that's just Walmart Scooby-Doo and had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Then, oh, this movie exists. And meanwhile, I was listening to a podcast by another Twitter user, at Chris Haley, and he has this show called uh, Keep It Close to Me, where he talked about his movie challenge where he watched um, Mortal Kombat Annihilation every day for a year, and I thought, huh, that's interesting. And then that must have just been in my subconscious for a long time because I had a dream that I decided to do that with a movie. Funnily enough, it was also an Archie movie, um, Riverdale and Back Again, the old TV. Oh, yeah. The... And I'm glad I didn't do that one. But I then thought, I should do that or Josie and the Pussycats. And so I bought the Josie and the Pussycats DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, and funnily enough, the first day of Josie Quest was my first time watching Josie and the Pussycats. So I was huh. thinking, gee, I hope I'm going to like this movie. And sure enough, I did. And it never got old. 
And that's that's cool. Uh, I, I can speak to the same. I, I haven't watched it every day, but it is one of those movies. Like, I, it's it's a comfort food movie for me. I put it on a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we actually we talked about like my my version of that was that when uh, I hadn't watched it in a really long time. I did see it when it was in theaters, mm-hmm. um, but I hadn't watched it in a really long time. And then when uh, what was it? Oh, uh, I, I was on Twitter. I was on, I think it was Reddit, but I was on someplace, and uh, there was a thing where uh, somebody was, somebody had like started a thread about how wonderful the movie was, <laughs> and uh, Rachel Lee Cook essentially showed up, like out of nowhere, to to like be like, oh my god, you guys are so wonderful. This is this is so great. We like we still really are proud of that movie, and I'm blah 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 blah. Like in the thread. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Well, she showed up in one of my threads, like, day 13 of the quest. And she's like, hold the phone a whole year? I don't think that's, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good use of your time. And I'm like, Rachel, you're the only one who's allowed to question this. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then she tagged the director slash writer. Yeah who I had been in, like, a bunch of communication with since then. <laughs> yeah. It was it was wild. It was great. I think I, I think I got notifications, like, up, at least likes from everyone from that main cast mm-hmm. except Rosario Dawson. I don't think she had time for Josie Quest. Which, but, is, which is funny because I think that the uh, – it, at least for the first chunk of time, and once once uh, once I got like a verified check and comic books started being a bigger thing, it, it uh, people people notice you a little bit easier. So oh, yeah. for the first chunk of time that I was like proselytizing about my love of this movie, I think that Rosario was the only one who actually had like liked or retweeted anything. Oh wow! <laughs> um, that given granted like. One of my co-hosts on the show, uh, Zach, who does all, all our new release wall episodes with me, uh, he produced a documentary uh, that Rosario was interviewed in, so it's possible that it like just somehow wandered into her feed via him. Um, but uh, but I do find that kind of funny. It's like, oh, the only person who didn't interact with you is the only one who did interact with me. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, no, because... Well, I don't, I don't think I got anything from, like, Alan Cumming or Parker Posey, even, but, like... Rachel had liked some of my things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabriel Mann had liked some stuff. Actually, <clears throat> just liked something when I was like geeking out over him playing Hush and Batman. But like, nice. but he's still he's still active, whatever. But uh, Missy Pyle liked a couple things. I think Tara uh, quote tweeted something, but I'd have to dig that up. <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty cool. Wild. It's funny because uh, I, I actually I keep hoping uh, since I cover Batwoman for for my job I keep hoping that I, I get a chance to do a one on one with Gabriel Mann if just so that I can lead with a Josie question. Oh yeah! Oh, that'd be great. Uh, it, it's actually uh, there was a uh, this guy Kevin McCarthy. Uh, he's a like a fairly well known like local Washington DC TV journalist who covers entertainment. And he uh like I just I I told you off Mike, I just came back from my second Fathom event screening 
of uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Yeah. And the whole reason that Ben Affleck was in that movie is because during an interview about an unrelated thing, Kevin McCarthy had, like, asked Affleck as an icebreaker question, not intending it to really be anything. Hey, did anybody call you about coming back for Jay and Silent Bob reboot? <laughs> and Affleck said something along the lines of, like, no, nobody's reached out, but I'm open to it. Uh, and that was the thing that, like, convinced them that they needed to actually reach out to him. They figured he was going to say no. But, uh, uh, so, so I feel less bad after hearing that story about my, my propensity for starting most interviews with, like, some jokey icebreaker question about something that's 20 years old. Uh, but, uh, and actually, uh, funny, funny thing, because you're, you're talking about Josie Quest. Uh, I've never done anything for a full year, but uh, one thing that I did do with, with a buddy of mine back in 2001, uh, when Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back came out in theaters, we had decided for reasons uh, that, that are obvious if you're a Kevin Smith person and unimportant if you're not, that we would go see the movie 37 times. Uh, we failed in the objective, and the reason that we failed is because of 9-11. Because uh, if you recall that movie... People call Jay and Silent Bob terrorists a bunch of times, and it's like tongue in cheek. It's obviously meant to to be to show how ridiculous the people talking are, yeah. but it doesn't matter. The word terrorist shows up in the script. It was gone September twelfth. Uh, yeah. So, so we we got, but we had seen it twenty nine times in theaters, and uh, tonight as part of that double feature, I was able to to, to elevate my number to thirty. <laughs> Yeah, I've actually since elevated my number from uh, 365-66 because there was one point where I thought, uh, is my numbering off? So I gave myself an extra day after, like it were a leap year, right. just to play it safe. Um, and then I watched it a couple other times because uh, I needed to show it to more people. I watched it at the gym. Um like maybe a week 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 or two ago, just mm-hmm. because like not that I forgot anything about the movie, but it's like you know what I know I have this interview and then maybe another one because I'm yeah. a celebrity now. Um, <laughs> say that tongue in cheek there, but right, um, right. But like I thought, you know, let's let's watch that again just just to see what I come up with any other crazy hot takes or whatever. And actually. I then recommended the movie to some folks, and we're planning a watch party. Nice. So that's going to be great. But you mentioned you mentioned 9/11. Um, that movie came out. Josie and the Pussycats also came out in 2001. Yeah. And it came out in like April. So some of the things in there they would have had to change if it were later. Oh um, yeah. Like they have a couple of plane crash things. There's even a plane crash visual. Um, not mm. just the du jour thing, but like when Fiona is talking to the UN about her big plans of what they do to dispose of the uh, artists, yeah. they have a plane crashing into a into a canyon. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they could not show that if it was post 9 one Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's, it's funny because I, I you know, it's, it's always weird because I don't I don't think about that stuff anymore. But it was such a like it, it was such a part of literally every discussion we had for months. It was like, oh yeah, can we get away with X? 
probably, honestly, by the time Josie was on home video, there were already people probably questioning whether or not it should get delayed. Mm. Yeah. Uh, now, now, uh, obviously, first of all, uh, I used to have a Riverdale podcast, and we talked about to Riverdale and back again. And I, I cannot imagine watching that. Uh, I think I would have to, no matter my motivation, tap out after like a month. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it's not great. Um, it doesn't seem it. I actually went to a flea market uh, maybe a month ago, and I picked up the comic book adaptation of oh. it for five bucks. I still have yet to read it, actually. <laughs> You know, it's funny. Uh, the comic book adaptation is has kind of a weird, uncanny valley thing because uh, John Byrne didn't really draw likenesses of the actors. He just drew like a John Byrne version of adult versions of the characters, from, <laughs> like in Archie House style, but via John Byrne. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of a metaphor for the whole adaptation. Like it's actually like neither is neither is particularly good. But the adaptation shouldn't be confused as being a one-to-one <laughs> adaptation of the. Uh, which actually, that's that's another good question. Have you read the novelization of Josie and the Pussycats? No, but I really need to find it. Yeah, I I will say guys, without without spoiling too much, it, it's based on an earlier draft of the script, uh, and so a lot of things are word for word identical. It's clear that there was not a ton of heavy lifting that went into adapting the screenplay. Mm-hmm. But I will say there are certain things that stick out as being uh, very, uh, like, very obviously changed. Uh, the, the thing that jumps out at me from, like, page one of the novelization is that Marco is a Latin lover type in the, in the, in the book slash the earlier draft of the screenplay. Huh. Ma- Marco... Uh, Marco, uh, is, uh, Seth Green's character. You know what? I think you're right. It is Marco. Yeah. Uh, Well, because they never, like, I think the only way you know the DuJour guy's names is if you, like, look at the t-shirts in the background. (laughs) If you IMDb them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Or if you just know the actors, you just refer to them as the actors. Yeah, that that's very common too. Okay. I actually did. I I bought the. Uh, I'm sure you, you well you may or may not, but I, there was a lot of props that I bought on eBay at one point. Mm-hmm. So I like I have a pair of the headphones from the concert. Uh, I have a prop du jour CD uh, that I actually had signed by Breckenmeyer. Oh yeah. And, and then uh, I I have a bunch of like du jour. T-shirts that were like used for the concert scene as like props in the set. Yeah, and so like I actually have a DJ DJ T-shirt and a Marco T-shirt and a Les T-shirt, and so I, I know those three just because like at this point I've seen them those T-shirts enough times in my and house. <laughs> and think about it, Seth Green is Chatham. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So Marco is yeah. uh, the, the guy whose name I can never remember. That's Breckin Meyer. Breckin Meyer. Yeah. 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 And so Brecken, anyway, the point being, he was very white in the in the ultimate movie. And so when you see the description of him as like it, like that's specifically how they describe him as like as a Latin lover type. And uh, I'm just like, well, 
that part got excised as soon as they had somebody fairly famous who they could stick in for the cameo. You went from Latin lover to backdoor lover. There you go, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, you, you could probably speak to this. Uh, for, for me, I remember, like, the discourse around this movie being what it was, which at the time was basically like, that this is a, a dopey popcorn like movie with no real substance to it, and like it was basically a lot of people perceived it as Spice World. Um, Spice World. There's a Spice Girls reference in the movie, and, bo- and both both movies have Alan Cumming. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing: is that for me, one of the things that struck me immediately uh, upon like rewatching it after having not seen it for several years, when I popped it on. And the movie starts with Backdoor Lover. And he's just like, how could anybody think that this was not done, like, with tongue firmly in cheek? Like, you literally start with Backdoor Lover. Like, the fact that so many people didn't get that it was making fun of itself uh, is is kind of incredible. It's a self-parody, but also a parody of just the media and... Consumerism. Mm-hmm. It was ahead of its time. It's, it's beautiful. Oh yeah, I mean that's the funny thing is that it. I mean, it, there's a lot of things that people say are ahead of its time, <clears throat> but uh, this one, this one, it, it could have only been made at the moment that it was made, <clears throat> and and yet it it was enough ahead of its time that being made at that moment kind of doomed it. Yeah. There were so many things in this that, like, had it been made six months later, would have been completely different. Not just, like, the 9-11 stuff, but just the fact that the music industry was collapsing under its own weight. And so... Pardon? Oh, yeah. And and if it were made at a different time, their their music would have been different, too. Like, they probably wouldn't have been the type of music that they're doing, the the punk rock. Yeah, like the mall punk thing for three, four years. Oh yeah. Uh, it's it, it's interesting to me though to see the similar sensibilities that you've seen come through in other things that have, like even just like looking at uh, the way that uh, they played uh, the Robin character in in How I Met Your Mother, mm-hmm. and, like having her be the like Mall Tiffany or whatever. Uh, I'm like, man, it's so strange that that we would have been so much more receptive to this at a time when it wouldn't have made any sense. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, when you started out Josie Quest, uh, first first of all, uh, how much of a relief was it for you to get to the end of the first screening and be like, okay, this isn't this isn't so awful that I've doomed myself? When I first watched it, I was like, this is a great movie. I loved it. And then the next day when I watched it, maybe the first ten minutes, I was thinking, I'm seriously watching the same movie that I watched last night. And then I kind of had that feeling of day three, maybe four, and then it just got routine at that point. Yeah, yeah. I, I do feel like, because I, I remember when I was in, in college, uh, first of all, I'm the kind of person who I could do that anyway without making it a project just because I'm the kind of person who I can stick something on for comfort food just to fall asleep to. Uh, but also, when I was in college, I was when I was like 19, uh, I went to this like Christian, like this small Christian college for a semester, and I remember corrupting 
a lot of young people uh, by showing everybody uh, clerks, small rats, and chasing Amy. <laughs> and we used to have like a, a trilogy screening basically every Friday in my dorm, dorm room. <laughs> and it's like, no, when, when you get to the point where you're doing like seven hours of basically the same thing every week for a long period of, it, it does, it gets, gets routine. Oh, yeah. like for, the, for the people who are coming for the first time or once in a while, it's still cool and weird and like whatever. But for you, at a certain point, it's just like, oh, this is a thing I do. Yeah, it was just a thing I did to the point where it got to, like, in the 200 days, <laughs> days, my computer wasn't working, so I couldn't play it on my computer. Luckily, I had it sunk onto my phone, so I was, like, napping with it on my phone. Like, I would mm-hmm. make my lunch for the next day, or I, I got to a point where, yeah, I would look at it, but I was really listening to it, and mm-hmm. would come from work, and I was, I owned the movie, so it's not like I had to, like, chew up data or anything. On right. I put it on in my car. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I say that, and I'm like, that is probably the stupidest thing I've done, but like, hey, my car didn't crash, I didn't total my car, I didn't kill anyone while I, while I was watching Josie and the Pussycats behind the wheel. <laughs> well, and also, kind of as you say, there there is an element of like, no, if that like once you know what every shot looks like, you're you're not really paying that much attention to the video. Oh yeah, I just have to hear the audio and I can get in my head. Yeah, and pay attention to <laughs> which left I gotta take. Now. Uh, for for you, uh, is there uh, is there a particular uh, like standout performance? Is there somebody who you're like, man, this is like this is the person who I'd love to like sit down and talk to about uh, my crazy Josie quest uh, hmm. in the film? I mean, dive deeper with uh, Rachel Lee Cook. I mm. got to meet her at uh, at a con recently. So that was amazing. And I told her who I was, and she gave me, like, the longest hug ever. And it was amazing. <laughs> oh, she, she was, she's just as sweet in person as you would imagine. Yeah. I, I've never met her, but I, all, of the, all of the folks from Psych have nothing but nice things to say about her. Oh, yeah. Since, as since they're all pretty down-to-earth people, I kind of assume that, that that's true. <laughs> but, yeah, I'd probably say, I'd probably say her. Mm-hmm. And uh, going into this, like you said, you hadn't seen it. Uh, had you, were you aware of like the the weird subculture around it, like the fact that there is there are these people who are such like obsessive fans, or was that something you kind of discovered once you got on Twitter and realized that like, oh, now my notifications aren't ever stopping. I think I discovered it while I was doing this, while I was watching the movie every day. But obviously, I'm glad I had Twitter to do that because I otherwise wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Because I needed Twitter to, like, share this. Because I couldn't just say it to, like, coworkers and family. They'd be like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, yeah. But at least, like, Twitter, there's like-minded people. Or right. not minded people, they just ignore it. 
<laughs> that's the be- that's the beauty of Twitter. It's like we'll make that happen. And yeah. the reason I came up with the Josie Quest hashtag was because there was no way I was going to be able to make that into a thread with all right. the butt takes and all that. So it's like here's this Josie Quest tag, which even that has an origin story to it. Like I initially was. Like, oh, I'm going to try to find this cheap at a store, this DVD. I'm going to mm-hmm. find it at a thrift store or something. And then I thought, well, then it's my quest to find that. Right. Um, yeah, no, I want to see this movie now. So I bought it. And then um, Josie Quest just had a nice ring to it. So I thought, now mm-hmm. it's my quest to see the movie every day for a year. And then also, me having the DVD... And the digital copy. Uh, I told a I told a friend about this, and she said, "You're gonna have to get another DVD because that DVD is gonna like explode or something." And so I right. bought a digital copy for like ten bucks. Funnily enough, I explained the same thing to Rachel because she asked me, uh, "How did this How did this DVD uh, withstand all that?" And I said, "Like, I watched it for like a hundred days, and then I had." The digital copy. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of perfect. Uh, it's funny because I actually, I'm, I, I have, uh, because I, I get evangelical about movies that I'm excited about. So I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll end up, like, I'll end up winning or giving out copies of things. And so certain movies, and this is one of them, I have multiples. Uh, at present, I have, let's say, one, two, three, four. DVDs. Uh, one of them is attached to a decoration on my wall. Uh, one of them is the PG-rated version, like the the one that was edited for family viewing. Oh yeah, that's the one that I got emailed a copy of. Watched <coughs> via Gmail. Mhm. That's crazy. So I technically have three. Well, yeah, I very much have three. Just one physical copy. I have yeah. a DVD, I have the digital iTunes version, and I have a digital version of the edited for family viewing. I only wish I had a VHS copy just for completionist sake. I actually, I do, although I don't have box art for my VHS copy. Cause, like, yeah. I was, I was feeling cheap, so I only paid like 225 for it or something on eBay. And so like, I, I've got, my, I actually have uh, the VHS sitting on a shelf. I have like a, a shelf of video store nonsense, basically, because that's, that's my thing. And uh, on my shelf of video store nonsense, I have a, a VHS copy of Joe's and the Pussycats, uh, and directly in front of it is a cassette copy of the soundtrack. Oh! I forgot all about that. I actually did buy the hard copy of the CD. Yeah. everyone and their brother were complaining about it not being on Spotify, not being on Apple Music, yep. blah, blah, blah. And it was only, like, maybe a couple months ago they finally put it on Apple Music, and I'm like, I have this. I bought it for $5 off Amazon, brand yeah. new. Oh, yeah. But it was funny, because once it was uh, released, I got, like, so many notifications, people saying to me, like, hey, it's on Apple Music, check this out. Oh, yeah. I, yeah I, I got the same thing. I actually wrote an article about it because uh, at this point, uh, there, there's like two things in the world 
that uh, everybody in my industry knows, like, if something happens with these two things, that Russ is going to be the one to write about it. And it's, Joe's, it's the Josie and the Pussycats movie and Booster Gold, which is a comic book character. Right. Uh, but uh, those two things, like, if anything happens with them, I get just an infinite number of notifications of people who are like, holy shit, did you see? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And... It's more than just, like, the movie. Like, I will get some sort of notification about just Josie and the Pussycats in general. I actually just got a notification today about um, the new comic book they're doing, Josie and the Pussycats in Space, which is kind of a riff off the uh, technically second season of the Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Right. And I read the article. I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm so excited. And then I read just a digital exclusive. I'm like, no! Yeah. No. And so that's why I made that, that's why I made that post with like, happy melody on the drums. It's like, when I learned that Josie and the Clips gets a new comic book versus when she, versus when I learned that it's going to be a digital exclusive and it's just her making that touting face when yeah. Fiona yelled, no one won a car. <laughs> I made a meme out of that. Called, yeah. It's called Sad Mel. And that, I took nice. a shot from that, and I use that all the time for just displeasure and sadness. One of my favorite yeah. out of that movie. One of my – first of all, I, 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 can, I can sympathize with that. I've made a couple of, like, gifts from this movie myself. Um, but also, uh, I'll have to send you a, a – I can't put it on the internet because it's got my phone number and stuff on it. But uh, I'll just send you a picture of my business card, uh, which features the job title of Trent Pimp. Uh, <laughs> uh, this was the, the story behind that is that uh, I was at New York Comic Con and I ran out of business card. And for like three weeks going into New York Comic Con, I had told my bosses, I'm running out of business cards. We're going to New York Comic Con. You need to print me some more. I didn't have any of the stuff I needed to print, to print them. Uh, like the graphics and the whatever. And they didn't. And then I was at New York and, and like Friday I ran out of business cards. And so the next morning I, I had some printed up at, uh, Staples, which is like right around the corner from our hotel. But I was like, if I'm paying for this out of pocket, then I'm just gonna do whatever I want with them. Uh, so I became, uh, my job title became Trend Pimp. And, uh, I, I like, Moved the logo and some other stuff around so that it was less uh, ugly than my old cart. <laughs> also, with that every time I watch that movie, I can never tell if Rachel is saying, I'm a trend pimp or I'm trend pimp. Huh. Like, I can never tell if there's an uh in that sentence. I'd have to I'd have to listen again to see. I, I mean, I always assume there was an ah. Uh, uh, there is in the subtitles. I know that. Yes, but. there is the subtitles, and the subtitles can be pretty weird sometimes, especially on iTunes. Sometimes they just kind of knock out certain things. But yeah, I I am uh, I, I'm one of those. I actually I have like Apple computers and such but I don't have Apple TV so I and and I'm old enough that I don't like to watch things on my phone or my computer unless I absolutely have to. Yeah. So I uh I have never watched it on iTunes. Uh, I have it synced through movies anywhere because I bought it on Vudu so I could theoretically watch it on iTunes and maybe I should do that for those subtitles. All right. 
But yeah, it's uh, one of the things that I, I kind of wish is that uh, in a movie like this, and in general, I wish that people would make these variant editions more available. Like the idea that like there's no way to purchase the edited for family viewing unless you go on eBay and find an old DVD. Yeah. Uh, That's really weird. Yeah, and, and I'm like, you know, it feels like just free money to me because it's like you already have the content. It'll take you, what, two hours to upload it? Oh, yeah. Um, they should make that a digital option, too. Yeah, well, I, it's funny. Um, there was a uh, There was a thing a while back where... Sony was making uh, a bunch of, like, edited for airline movies available as bonus features on their DVDs. I wonder how they'd edit Josie, considering certain scenes. Yeah, I, I feel like that probably just wouldn't be able to be done as a, mo- as a movie for, for airlines. Because I know, like, there are certain movies that are just blacklisted. Like, Fearless, uh, if you remember that movie, uh which is basically about a guy who gets into a plane crash and survives it and then basically becomes convinced that he's immortal. Uh, and he isn't, but, like, it changes the way he lives his life. Uh, that movie, I remember very distinctly, like, having heard that back in the 90s, like, yes, that, that movie specifically cannot be put on an airplane because, like, the, the crash scene, like, not only does it exist, but it's pretty elaborate. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, even then, it, there was some weird thing. I can't remember what it was. I, I feel like fans objected for some reason, maybe because they were worried about uh, getting stuck with only the edited for family viewing being available at, like, Walmarts and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, but or there was, like, a, did pardon? accidentally buy the edited version. Yeah, yeah. But there was, like, I remember fans being really upset about the Sony thing for for a while, and then, like, Sony backtracked on it and was like, okay, maybe that was a stupid idea. And I was a little bummed because, like, what they had done is they had actually just dropped the edited versions onto your existing purchases in a bunch of movies. And so, like, all of a sudden one day I had, like, an extra different version of Ghostbusters. Uh, and then one day a month later I didn't anymore. Oh, man. And I was just like, ah, oh, I really should have downloaded that to my phone while I had the opportunity. Wow. But, uh, uh, so, so going, going back to Josie's, Josie Quest a little bit, I know that, uh, because of this, you've, you've kind of come to the attention of everybody involved with the thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you have, uh, personally, do you have, do you have a favorite project that one of the, uh, one of the Josie stars or the, or the filmmakers have done outside of this that you kind of followed them to as a result of having watched them 200 times? As a result of Josie Quest, um, I, I checked out She's All That because of Josie Quest, uh, Rachel E. Cook's movie, Yeah, She's All That. Um, I actually already knew um, Rosario Dawson from Daredevil, I'm actually that young that I learned about her. Um, well, I'm, I'm young as in I'm 25, but still um, yeah. uncultured in that I learned about her from Daredevil. Um, but then have since seen a bunch of stuff with her in it, and like, yeah, she's great. Um, Alan Cumming I already knew. I knew him from X-Men. I knew... 
I knew of Tara Reid, but I've actually never seen the Sharknado movies. Yeah. And I'm probably missing somebody. But now, I mean, nowadays, I'll, like, I'll notice people more that were yeah. in that movie. Like, I was, like, I watched You Got Mail, and then I noticed Parker Posey was in it. I was like, I have a better eye for that sort of thing now because yeah. I've seen Josie and the Pussycats every day for a year. Like, uh, every every now and then, Missy Pyle will show up in a movie. I'm like, oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Alexander Cabot. Or like I said, with Batwoman. <laughs> Yep, and that, it's funny, I actually had, uh, when I was at New York Comic Con, they had a giant poster for Impulse, the show that Missy is on now. And it was, they had like character posters flanking all the escalators. And so like, I was coming down the escalator and there was like a 25 feet high, just bust of Missy pile. <laughs> and so I took a picture of it and I was like, I, I tweeted something along the lines of like, Alexander Cabot is huge at Comic Con. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so that's, that, I, it's funny because, uh, as, as somebody who's that young, I have to ask, were you aware when you started watching that, like, oh, all of the, the, like, jokes between Tara Reid and Carson Daly are supposed to be funny because they were married at the time? I eventually learned that during my, during my present. Mm-hmm. Like, I just thought, like, oh, Carson Daly's in this. But again, me showing my use, it's like, right. I'm the voice. Uh, and it's funny because I, I I have, like, an old soul, so I'm exactly the right age to have been super aware of that shit. And I wasn't just because, like, I didn't watch fucking MTV. I was, like, I, I listened to Bob Dylan. <laughs> Uh, so it's it's funny coming you coming at it from the opposite direction and having essentially the same experience. Oh yeah, the movie came out when I was like six. Yeah, see, I was I was twenty one, so I actually I did see this in theaters. Uh, oh, I envy you. Which I actually I've seen it in theaters again now because uh, I went to the uh, the screening in Brooklyn last year. The uh, uh, what is it? The Brew House Alamo Alamo Draft House. Oh nice. Uh, they had like, and it's funny because you're talking about uh, Harry and Deb. Uh, the the they actually shot a like a an intro, like a two minute introductory, like thank you guys so much for keeping this movie alive. It's really special mm-hmm. for like the fans who showed up in Brooklyn. Uh, and I think there was also another screen. I think they had another thing at Alamo like the same week at one of the other locations or whatever. Uh, but it was a really fun little bit because it was one of those things where they, uh, they, they recorded their message and about halfway through the thing, you started seeing like signs moving around behind them doing the, uh, doing the, uh, the subliminal messaging. And it started, it started with like Josie and the Pussycats is the best movie ever and moved on to, uh, Rachel Lee Cook deserves an Oscar. Uh, and and then eventually the gag was that it was Rachel Lee Cook who had crashed their uh, announcement uh, to 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 share with them, and uh, they did a really good like they did. It, there's a series that they do, and I can't remember what the name of it is, but this kid this guy runs it who is really passionate about mu- music and movies, and so he does screenings of shit like that thing you do, and this is Spinal Tap, and and whatever else. And he'd been trying to get Josie done for the longest time, but like getting a decent print from Universal is hard, 
and he wanted to do something special with Harry and Deb, and that was time-consuming and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but because of that, he had a really good relationship with them. Uh, and so when I showed up wearing a du jour T-shirt and original prop ears from the movie uh, and carrying one of the toy guitars that they sold uh, as a tie-in product, uh, the guy was just like, okay, I need to take pictures of us and send them to Deb and, to Deb and Harry right now. And so, very much like you, I'm I'm a crazy person who they they just know because they're like, oh yeah, that dude, yeah, it's probably restraining orders in order, but cool. Exactly. I am so surprised that they weren't like, this guy's crazy, block him. No, Harry actually DM'd me and asked me what my mailing address was because he sent he they then sent me stuff. Nice. They sent me props and whatnot. That's really cool. Yeah, and one of the nice things about this movie is like the the fact that it wasn't a huge success at the box office, and the fact that they had the giant crowd scene at the beginning and the giant crowd scene at the end mm-hmm. means there's like just fucking buckets loads of relatively affordable props for the people who really are passionate about it. Oh yeah, that's great. Uh, I just love the passion that these people still have for this movie, like the people that made it, because yeah. it didn't do well. Sadly, but now it's got this cult following, and instead of just dismissing it as, oh, that movie we tried to make that sucks, it's like, no, it's like, oh, it's being celebrated now, and we're enjoying that, we're enjoying that celebration now. Yeah. Right. It's, it's really funny. I wish, and there's, obviously there's no way to do this, it's, it's a purely theoretical thing, but like, I would love to have talked to them in like 2003 or four before the movie had its renaissance and after it had been, it had been a flop. And go to them and be like, which would you rather have? Would you rather this movie have been a modest success last year, or would you rather know that in fucking 15 years people are still going to be holding, like, special screenings and wearing the ears and all that kind of crap? And watching it every day for a year. And, yeah. And, and bugging their followers about it. Yeah. And I, I think it's funny because, like, part of that is that almost everybody in this movie has has had, either before or after this, a really successful career. Oh, like, there are, there's very few people in this movie who you don't know from other things. Mm-hmm. And so you then end up with the, uh, the situation where I think most of these people don't feel especially slighted by its lack of success. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I feel like there's, there's an element of when when it didn't hurt you at all, you can look back on the experience of the filmmaking and not be too, too phased by the way that it didn't work. Yeah, or didn't work initially. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's it's a conversation. Actually, I had a bit of a conversation like that with Kevin Smith not too long ago because he, I was talking to him for a reboot, and, and he was talking about how, because I asked him, I was like, hey, are you going to do a commentary track for a reboot? Because when I was in my 20s, uh, I loved his movies so much, I used to listen to the commentary tracks all the time. <clears throat> and he always had, like, five people get together and do it, and a lot of the time, two or three of them were drunk, and, and it was always hilarious. Nice. And, uh, and he stopped at one point, and I didn't really pay attention to when he stopped, uh, but when I asked him, I was like, are you going to do a commentary track for reboot? Because it's, like, floor-to-ceiling Easter eggs and all this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he was just like, oh, yeah, hell yes. He's like, you know, the only reason I really stopped doing them is because Zack and Miri was, like, just such a fucking disappointment. That, like, that was the movie that everybody thought was going to make $100 million and make us all household names. 
and then it bombed out of nowhere. And, like, I was so depressed that at the time when you're supposed to talk about these things, I just had no interest in talking about the film. Mm. And he was talking about how, like, not only does he plan on doing, like, a commentary track for Reboot, but, like, he has longer-term plans to go back and record commentary tracks for pretty much everything that he didn't do them for. Because he's like, in hindsight, you know, I had a lot of really good experiences on that movie. I really like the cast of that movie. Like, there's really nothing bad about it except how it performed at the box office. Like, yeah. like I'm still proud of it. I still enjoyed the hell out of it. Like, and I feel like that's, that's the Josie and the Pussycats. Like, okay. that's where most of these folks come from. Have you seen the Josie and the Pussycats commentary? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. What I would do is, now, this just kind of ended up being a thing, because mm-hmm. uh, it was either day 100 or day 101. Either way, it was close enough to a 100 where it was monumental and I could make it tradition yeah. for at least two more times. I decided on one of my go-arounds to keep it interesting. Let's make the commentary one of my viewings. Yeah. And so I did that and learned some interesting insight. And then I thought, you know what, let's do this every 100 days. It'll just be two more times and mm-hmm. gather it up. It's funny. Uh, I One of the things that I wanted to do, uh, and it's, 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 it's so weird, in the three years or so that I've been doing Emerald City Video, like since we launched this show, uh, the, the, the level of appreciation for the movie that exists online, even, like, even just outside of like the hardcore, like that small group of hardcore fans, mm-hmm. like the number of think pieces and other stuff like that that's just like, no, this movie's fucking amazing, has like gone way, way up. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, a couple of years ago, I really wanted to get them on and be like, no, we should do, like, a modern-day commentary track. Like, because the, the perspective would be ty- entirely different now, talking about, like, what you recall and what worked and what, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that was a thing that I, I really wanted to do for a while and never managed to get it together. And now it feels like, no, that'd be basically impossible because, like, as soon as I mentioned it, there would be four other people with more money that want to do it. Uh. So that commentary tracks are, are such a weird animal. I, I, I really, I loved them, and I miss the fact that, like, in the absence of a home video market, we basically don't have them anymore. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we should, I should start wrapping up soon, but uh, uh, what's your, uh, is, is there is there a next, uh, have you thought about, like, is there another movie that you're like, oh, you know, I could actually probably get away with this? Or at this point, is it just one of those things where you're like, no, this is a thing you really only need to do once in your life? This. That's a very interesting thing. Because, like, I did kind of try following along with another podcast. They were trying to wa- They were trying to watch Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed every day for the month of October. Uh-huh. But let's play along with this. I love this. It, I love this movie as well. But, like, life got in the way. Uh, life has since very much gotten in the way to the point where I'm thinking, like, ooh, I could not do Ghost of now. Um, yeah, yeah. But two years ago, I had plenty of time. And, like, somehow I'm still shocked I was able to make that happen. But mm-hmm. considering how... My life has progressed. Of so like, I'm doing more things. I I hardly have time. I hardly have time to even 
think about a comic book, let alone open it up, uh, yeah. <laughs> let alone watch a movie. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I tried watching um, Scooby-Doo 2, and I made that happen, like, a week, every day for a week. And then I think what really got in the way was I ended up getting, like, this horrible fever. <laughs> I'm like, nope, I can't do this. Yeah. But, but all that aside... The Josie quest, in general, is just so special that I don't think I can really uh, try to do that again. Where, like, especially with all the interactions I've had related to it, like, not only do I not think that I could capture lightning in a bottle again, I don't think I want to mm-hmm. because it's just that special. Uh, now, before we, we sign off, I'll just ask you a really kind of kind of question I'm sure you've been asked 80 times at this point. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite scene in the film? Favorite scene? There's, like, so many hilarious things in there, but I... A lot of the funny... A lot of the funniest stuff, in my opinion, comes from, uh... Comes from Tara Reid. Mm-hmm. Um, like... Little subtle things, or not so subtle things, but like little subtle things, like when they're eating the ramen noodles, she's using her drumsticks. Mm-hmm. Or um, when she's running around the room, they're talking about like, oh, if I could be in multiple places at once, I'd be, I could, I could be in here and in here. Um, and of course, the honk if you love the pussy cats. Um, yeah. But my favorite, I think the answer is more what's my favorite quote. Mm-hmm. Um, which is when Josie is apologizing to Mel and Val about how when she was brainwashed, she was waffled to bed, and mm-hmm. she wishes that she could go back in time. She was safer sick. And Mel, with the biggest smile on her face, she says, if I could go back in time, I would want to meet Snoopy. Yep. <laughs> Crack me up every time. Uh, I have more than once thought about trying to figure out a way to make that a t-shirt. <laughs> I need that to be a t-shirt. There is a hilarious, there's a t-shirt of that. Um, mm. My favorite Josie and the Part, yeah, wow, Josie and the Pussycats artist, um, Audrey Mock, who did, oh, yeah. art, did the art for the recent series that was so short-lived. All the things I love in comic books are just so short-lived and yeah. like that. But, she had such beautiful art, and I really want to commission her to draw her version of Mel hugging Snoopy. That's a solid that, idea, yeah. To fulfill that wish as <laughs> one Tara Reid Mel to meet Snoopy. Which, of course, I mean, I don't know if you've ever talked to uh, uh, to Cam, the guy who co-wrote that book, but he, oh, yeah, uh, actually. He's actually a mutual of mine. Oh, nice. Yeah, so, so you know, he, like, it's funny. I We did a commentary track for that series. Like, I interviewed them basically every week uh, or every month. And uh, I, I asked them when they go to the, the Ice Kingdom, which the name escapes me at the moment, uh, and they have the, like, big fight scene, uh, I was like, okay, so is is 
Melody is the is the fact that Melody is kicking everybody's ass like a callback to the uh, the 2001 movie where she's like a secret badass and he's like absolutely yeah I wanted to like make that canon in the comics. That's amazing. There is. Have you read Archie Archie versus Sharknado? I haven't, and I, I should. I just uh, it's one of those things that I missed like the first two issues, and then it just became like oh, I'll catch it and collect it at some point. I believe Archie Sharknado was a one shot. Oh, is it? I must be misremembering that. It must be Predator then. Predator uh, four, and just recently got a sequel that I need to get reading. Um, but the the Pussycats do have a cameo, and Mel has a com- makes a comment not about not about Josie and the Pussycats, but she does make. But I guess it is kind of about the movie too. It's a terrible uh, joke. She nice. makes a joke about how. People keep mistaking her for the woman in the Sharknado movies. Nice. And then, actually, she loses her hand. And mm. so I actually asked uh, Dan Parent if that was a coincidence or if that was like a Def Leppard joke. Yeah. It's the drummer losing the arm. But right. But it's just like, that's just a coincidence. That's, but, a solid, that, that's a solid question, though. I wouldn't have thought of it. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, some of my favorite stuff in comics is is like those totally random things where you're you're only working on a joke that's like that's meta. Uh, one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite Green Arrow stories. Uh, there was an artist called Mike Grell, and uh, Grell did a great run on Green Arrow. But before that, he did a great run on this book called Warlord that he created. Oh yeah, and. His the guy who followed him as the artist on Warlord was Dan Jurgens, who also followed him as the artist on. Green Arrow. And when Jurgens was drawing Green Arrow, Grell was still writing it. Uh, and then somehow Jurgens pitched a story to editorial and they were like, well, Dan wants to do a story where Oliver crosses over with Warlord. And uh, Grell, who had resisted the idea of Warlord being a part of the DC Universe proper up to that point, was like, no. And they said, well, hear us out. And the whole pitch was, uh, you know, uh, Warlord comes to Star City for something, and everybody keeps mistaking him for Oliver Queen because Mike Grell used to draw them so alike. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he's constantly getting, like, abused and sworn at and whatever else because people think he's Oliver. And then finally he, like, goes to Oliver's apartment and punches him out, and he's like, stop being a jerk! <laughs> uh, and And... And the the editor, like, explains the pitch and then explains, like, the entire joke is just Dan Jurgens saying that you draw these two characters so much alike that nobody could tell the difference if they had if they, if they didn't have a colorist. And Grell was basically like, oh, fuck, now I've got to do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So so very much in the same vein as the, the Melody joke where it's like, yeah, no, that, that's the kind of stuff I love because comics. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of fun meta humor in there. Like, mm. uh, somebody picks up a chainsaw and says groovy so, so for Evil Dead. It, it's yeah. Great. Surprised there's no Evil Dead references in uh, uh, Afterlife with Archie, but then again, that, that and the Sabrina one, they're not uh-huh. cheap. But, like, yeah. Read, yeah. but if you read um, Jughead the Hunger... And Vampironica, especially Jughead the Hunger, it, that's just 
wild, crazy fun. They're, they're, oh, yeah. they're, they don't even care anymore about seriousness. Yeah. All right. Well, I should wrap up mostly just because I have to sleep. But uh, where can people find you on the wide world of web? On Twitter. Um, I forgot to put the at on there for, for when you introduced me as McLean Amalgam. It's yeah. at McLean Amalgam because when I'm not talking about Josie, I'm sometimes talking about the Amalgam comics fr- uh, from DC and Marvel placing their characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually originated. Everything has an origin story. It's crazy. So, <laughs> so basically, make mine amalgam was from the uh, fake letters to the editor yeah. at the back of the amalgam comics. They would have like people write in like, "Oh, this last issue of Super Soldier was great," when really there was no last issue of Super Soldier. Right. Whatever. But like, there's the tagline: "Make mine Marvel." Well, somebody, yeah. well, somebody in the writer, somebody who wrote that, yeah. somebody writing the the editor thing, the, le- the letters to the editor, uh-huh. they said, make mine amalgam, or I'll make a mine amalgam, but make mine amalgam had a better ring to it. Right. So I thought, well, if I want to have a Twitter that I'm talking strictly about amalgam and, I guess, other things in comic I love, Right. Uh, <laughs> but at that point, it was mainly DC, uh, Marvel, and Amalgam when I initially made it. Um, that's where the name came from. And uh, nice. stuff just my favorite thing in comics that isn't Josie. Yeah. All right. Well, well thanks very much, man. I, I, I look forward to hearing your uh, your other interviews, which I you, you told me a little bit about some of that stuff. Yeah, I have, like, at least one other one. I don't know when that's going to happen. That one's in, like, Australia, so I have to try to figure out my scheduling, her scheduling. But she said that, um, she said that, like, mine is saved for last, so we we still have some time to map that out. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that as well. Very cool. All right. Well, thanks so much, and uh, I, I'm sure I'll probably bug you again at some point. Uh, like I, said, I could probably continue talking for another hour, if not for the fact that at some point we both need to sleep. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, I'd love to do this again. This was a blast. Yeah, maybe I can bring somebody else on who's not quite as familiar with it, and we can uh, we can make some kind of game out of it. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Like a trivia right. game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just do it as a bit, where it's a trivia game with you, me, and somebody who's seen the movie once. <laughs> Like a monkey in the middle trivia yeah, game. Yeah. Uh, but uh, all right. So thanks so much, man, and uh, uh, thanks to whoever is still listening to us babble. Uh, it's always it's always fun when I get to talk to people who didn't work at the same video store as me and get a little bit of a different perspective in. So uh, thanks for uh, for being on board for it. And uh, be back here by noon on the fifth day for more from Emerald City Video. And always remember to rewind your cassettes. A C E.